Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, so I'm going to do a message on Memorial Day, Remembrance, and all the things surrounding that. Now, Pastor Chris has been talking about thoughts and things. We've got to remember our thoughts and the, the things that God has spoken to us and uh, put them in place so we can remember the right things and impart to the next generation what God wants to do. Memorial Day is a wonderful time of the year, but I don't think we all know what it really means. You know, it's, it's the start of the summertime. So we think, oh, the pool is open now. That's not just what it's all about, people. And, uh, you know, t- some of us think a vacation time is not very far off. We're going to get to go on vacation. For others, it's a time for family camp out or cookout or fellowship. Or some of you think it's a three-day weekend, and it is. But it's more than that. It is, a, it is Memorial Day. Many cities have Memorial Day parades. So we, we're talking about Memorial Day, and we think of the word memorial. And the greatest thing Memorial Day it is, is to celebrate uh, a day that we can remember. We can remember. We can remember the veterans who have gone on to be with the Lord and honor those veterans who have sacrificed for our great country. That's why we're here this weekend. Memorial Day started actually as Decoration Day in honor of the veterans who had passed away during the Civil War. It has since come to be called Memorial Day because we remember all the veterans from all the wars that have been been involved. It was officially proclaimed on May 5th, 1868, which is three years after the war ended, by General John Logan, National Commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, and was first observed on the 30th of May, 1868, when flowers were placed on the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. The first state to officially recognize the holiday was New York in 1873. By 1890, it was recognized by all of the northern states. The South did not yet do it. They honored their dead dead on separate days until after World War I, when the holiday changed from honoring just those who died fighting the Civil War to honoring Americans who died fighting in any war. Now, by act of Congress, it is stated to be the last Monday in May. It's a national holiday, one of 10 national holidays, and the only national holiday that is a national holiday that is set aside for sacrifice. That act went into being in 1971. And so many people, you will see that this weekend, many people will visit cemeteries and memorials to honor those who have died, particularly in military service, and honor our families who have gone on before. Can I tell you, I think that's a very good ritual to do. My family and ours, we always go to, a fam- to, to our family, uh, uh, those who have passed away. We put flowers and flags on, and we honor those who have gone before. I'm going to take my grandkids, I'm going to take, except for the two little ones, they wouldn't understand what's going on, but I'm going to take those three, and I'm going to take them to my dad's 
graveside, who he is in the Idaho National Cemetery. I'm going to tell you a story about him in just a minute. In the Idaho National Cemetery, and which was begun, believe it or not, by Helen Shenoweth. Helen Shenoweth was the reason why we have a Idaho uh, veteran cemetery. She's the one that put it into being, planned it, and everything. And so we have that cemetery in place today because I'm going to take my grandkids, I'm going to tell them some stories. I'm going to tell them stories about Grandpa. And so we're going to do that. I encourage you to start some rituals where you can start remembering things. You need to remember what has occurred in our nation. In fact, on Memorial Day, the flag is raised briskly. This is, the, this is what they do. The flag is raised briskly to the top of the staff and then solemnly lowered to the half-staff position where it remains only until noon. It is then raised to full staff for the remainder of the day. The reason for that is the half-staff position remembers the more than 1.3 million men and women who gave their lives in service to our country. At noon, their memory is raised by the living who resolve not to let their sacrifice be in vain, but to rise up in their stead and continue the fight for liberty and justice for all. Uh, studio, would, would you put the cartoon up? What happens if we're not living up to what they died for? It's a good question, a one we need to ponder. But today I'm here to challenge us that uh, we are to be people of remembrance in what God has done and established in our great nation. I think of uh, a cute little story. I've got I've to read this to you. A cute little story uh, was the story of little Alex. One Sunday morning, uh, Pastor McGee uh, noticed that little Alex was staring up at a, a large plaque that hung in the foyer of the church. And the plaque was covered with names and small American flags were mounted on either side of it. And this, this seven-year-old Alex had been staring at the plaque for some time. So the pastor walked up and, and stood beside the boy and, and said, Quietly, good, good morning, Alex. How are you? Well, good morning, Pastor McGee, he said. And he, but he was focused on the plaque. And he, he said, Pastor McGee, well, what is this? Well, son, he said, it's, it's a memorial for, to all the young men and women who died in the service. And they stood kind of quietly for a while and you could tell Alex was thinking and he was a little sober and his, his voice is barely audible when, when he asked, well, which service, the nine or the 11? <laughs> yes. Um, I need to tell you what, what occurred. I want to just... This week, we were in Washington, and uh, we were at, uh, I got a text from my wife saying that there, there's, a, there's a ceremony at Arlington Cemetery called Flags Up. And so, uh, I went online, found out what it was. It's, it's the, uh, the 3rd Infantry Division, which is the old guard. Is that not right, Keith? Keith is my... 
service historian here. He's actually was, where you were stationed in D.C., right? Pretty close. And so the old guard, this is a question for you. Who is the senator in our Senate right now who is a member of the old guard from 2007 to 2008? You find that out. I'll tell you who it is later, okay? Uh, so the old guard is, there was 1,000 soldiers that would place 250,000 flags on every headstone in Arlington Cemetery on Thursday. And I heard it from my wife, so I texted her back and said, I'm, I'm going. So I, I, uh, I told the team, who wants to go with me? Well, two volunteers came to my side. Wyatt, bless your heart, and Nathaniel. And so we jumped in an Uber and we ran over to Arlington Cemetery. And uh, we noticed the clouds were coming. You know, we wanted to get some good video. We wanted to see this. and we, we, So we were going to go and we were going to see these soldiers place all these flags on the, on the headstones. We ran over there, and, and about the time we got to the visitor center, uh, Nathaniel says, Pastor Ken, I felt the drop. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. So I said, okay, here's my card. Go into the visitor center, get an umbrella. Wyatt and I are going to go as far as we can in, in, in video. So Wyatt and I got about 100 yards, and the wind kicked. I mean, it kicked. It started blowing branches and everything. I says, whoa. And all of a sudden, it started raining. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was raining. I'm in a suit. I looked at Wyatt. He looked at me. I said, run. <laughs> so he and I, and is this not true? I kept up with you. I ran for 100 yards, almost 100 yards with Wyatt. He is my, he's my testament here. To the visitor center, got in there, and I was drenched, soaked from head to foot. My suit will never be the same again. But after the storm was over, I, I, just, I'm not, I said, I'm not going back out there. Wyatt, you're the man of God for the hour. <laughs> now, the crazy thing was Nathaniel didn't even get wet. So Wyatt went out, and we got a picture. Studio, put the video up of Arlington, please. Every one of those headstones had a flag in front of it until the storm. They were coming back right after that to replace the flags. Two hundred and fifty thousand headstones. We need to honor those who have gone on before. Thank you, Wyatt. Good job. Let's thank Wyatt for doing that. I'm here today to challenge you to remember where we've come from. The pilgrims, when they landed in 1620, came to our shore seeking religious liberty. In fact, this is the purpose for their coming, and I quote, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And we can go on and on about how our forefathers came here uh, seeking God. Roger Batson, an early economist in, in America, was talking to a, uh, a South American president, one of the nations of South America, and they were discussing the difference between North America and South America and why North America seemed to have prospered and grown and blossomed, but, in, but South America had not. 
So Roger asked this South American president, what is the difference? Why is North America so blessed and prosperous and South America is not? He said this. He said, the difference lies in the fact that those who came to our shores came to our shores seeking gold. But those who came to your shores came to your shores seeking God. I'm here to tell you today, we are the recipients of God's rich religious freedom and liberty. And we must not take that for granted. We've had 1.3 million servicemen give of their lives for our nation. This week when I was on the, on the mall, and I was looking, I was in the World War II Memorial. I'll tell you a story about that in just a little bit. I was at the World War II Memorial. I was looking, uh, as you, World War II Memorial, you have the Atlantic Theater on one side, the Pacific Theater on another side. In the middle is a body of water. It's a pool representing all the sea battles and a, and a grassy area representing all the land battles. And as I looked across, I looked towards the Lincoln Memorial, right there's a wall, and on that wall there's 4,000 stars. Every star represents 100 deaths. So there are 400,000 who died in World War II who represented with the gold stars. If you're any kind of a historian, you will remember that in World War II and even previous wars, if you were a serviceman in the war, you were given a blue flag or blue star that was put in your window. Your family would exhibit your star in the window of the door of your house so everyone could see that there's a member of this family in the service. If that person actually died in the service, that blue star would be replaced with a gold star. And the gold stars are all the 4,000 that are at that memorial, representing the 400,000 of the 1.3 million who have died. And so you have heard of gold star families. That's those who have a family member that died for our freedom. We have a lot to be thankful for and to remember. And our little complaining about standing in line or having a problem with this or having a problem with that, God help us. We are to be of all people grateful and you're gonna see in this message as I tell you about it, what we need to be grateful for. Our forebears wrote a Declaration of Independence, and in that declaration it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endued by their creator with certain unalienable rights. In other words, the government didn't give us our rights. The school doesn't give us our rights. No one else gives us our rights. God is the one who gives us our rights. And don't tell me that God is not in our declaration or in our constitution. He's in both. In fact, as we were at the Lincoln Memorial, I looked up at the second inaugural dress with, uh, with, that Abraham Lincoln gave shortly before his death. It's probably the greatest inauguration speech you will ever see. 22 references to God, to scripture, and all that. Uh, there were people there, and I was with them. We were there almost in tears with the realization of what he was declaring, prophesying, and saying in his speech. They believed in God. 
They had a sincere, not just belief, but a firm uh, understanding that they were there because of the grace of God. George Washington. Now, bear with me here. Uh, we're we're kind of dumbed down in our, in our English. So listen to this. As he, as George Washington, eloquently says this, my fervent supplications to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the council of nations, and whose providential aids can supply every human defect that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and the happiness of the people of the United States, a government instituted by themselves for these essential purposes. We ought to be no less persuaded that the perpetuous smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. Amen, George Washington. John Quincy Adams on July 4th, 1821 said the greatest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected into one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. President Andrew Jackson said, the Bible is the rock upon which our public rests. Abraham Lincoln said, in regards to this great book, I have but to say it is the best gift God has given to man. All, through, all, all the good that the Savior came to the world was communicated through this book, but for it we would not know right from wrong. He then goes on, Abraham Lincoln says, all things most desirable for man's welfare here and hereafter are to be found portrayed in the Bible. That's not a Baptist preacher. That's a president of the United States. In 1951, the Supreme Court Justice uh, William O. Douglas said this, We are a religious people, and our institutions presuppose a supreme being. Memorial Day is a unique is a unique. Uh, uh, is unique actually to our country. There's no other country that has a Memorial Day like we do. And I remember hearing, I, wanna, I want them to put this up. I remember hearing, I was in a senator's office one day and he was talking about going to France. He was going to uh, Europe to celebrate D-Day. Do you know that's coming up? I think it's the 75th, 76th, something in there. And so there are, there are cemeteries all around the world that are set aside for American soldiers who have died. This senator proceeded to tell us that France has adopted these cemeteries as their own because they so appreciated America fighting for them and granting them freedom so that a family is designated to take care of every graveside. I didn't know that. I'm going... Oh, my word. And we hear all, you know, you hear everything bad in the news. But there are families in France that are saying, thank you, America, for coming and saving us. And they take care. They go out putting flowers on that one grave that they have been assigned or they have taken as their charge. Uh, Dr. Stan has been in Tunisia. And in Tunisia, we have a few shots. There is an American cemetery there. The North Africa American Cemetery and Memorial where our soldiers who are in the North Africa conflict are buried. Show the, show the other two. There is the place in Tunisia. Those are all Americans that died in the war. Now, I, uh, 
I remember in 2004, are you all with me? 2004, Tracy and I, my daughter and I, we went to Washington, D.C. and took my father. My father served three years in the Army in New Guinea in an artillery company. I remember taking him, and uh, Tracy and I had planned this trip for him and invited him to come. He'd never been to D.C. before. It was his first trip. So we took him, and I had called the Library of Congress because I had heard that the Library of Congress was interviewing as many veterans as they could of World War II to put in the, in the archives, the Library of Congress. So I made an appointment. So we get to Washington, D.C., and Tracy and I, I remember we, we took him in the Library of Congress and down in the basement there, and we went into a room, and there was an interview there with a, with a camera. And, and so Tracy and I sat in the back of the room. My dad sat in a chair, and the interviewer started asking him questions. And Tracy and I sat in awe as we heard my father tell stories that I had never heard. And as he talked, I'm thinking to myself, my dad's a hero. And he was. I mean, some of our, our parents, our grandparents of the greatest generation gave up everything so we could be here today and celebrate freedom and, and have what we have. We need to learn a lot more gratefulness and honoring. And so as we sat there and listened to that, I was just amazed at at what had happened to my father. He'd never told us these stories. And then we went out, and then that's, in, I could go to the Library of Congress and video, get that video and watch it even now. It's in the archives. And they were videoing as many as they could. And so that, that week we were doing all these activities, and we went to, I'll never forget, we, we actually went to uh, the, 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 uh, the dedication of the World War II Memorial. This is a, a Memorial Weekend of 2004. And I'll never forget this. Remember this, Trace? Uh, we sat down on a, in the World War II with the Atlantic Theater over here and Pacific over here. We sat on a, on a marble bench, and I just sat down, and this older gentleman sat down with, the, with a hat on. And my dad sat over here. And so I, uh, I introduced myself and started talking to him. And, and I said... Uh, and then I used my dad to him, and he, they were talking. And then my dad asked him, well, where did you serve? He said, uh, New Guinea, which is exactly where my dad was. I leaned back, <laughs> and they started talking. Fascinating to hear veterans talk about their experience and encourage one another. I just kind of... God, this is kind of a moment here. And as they, uh, I'll never forget it because the, I'd never seen so many wheelchairs in all my life. It was three generations. It was the grandparent, the son or daughter, and grandkids. Three generations. It was Tracy and I and my dad. And they were everywhere. And you just couldn't, you couldn't help but feel this heartbeat for our country and thankfulness. There were 16 million veterans in World War II, of which only 500,000 are left. My dad passed away a few years ago, but I'll never forget what happened that Sunday. That Sunday was Pentecost Sunday that, that year. So 
I, on that Sunday morning, I asked, hey, Dad, uh, want to go to church? My dad's a pastor, so he likes going to church. I said, well, let's, let's go to the Church of the Presidents. Well, the Church of the Presidents is the Yellow Church. It's the White House, Lafayette Park, and the Church of the Presidents sits right across the street. Every, every president since John Madison has worshipped there at least once. There is, a, there is a place for all presidents to sit when they come. It's allocated for them. So we thought, well, let's go there and see what it's like. It's Pentecost Sunday. Let's go and see what the Episcopals do on Pentecost Sunday. So we, we walked in. We thought it was kind of interesting because we had to go through security. Went through security, sat down in a seat, and just before the service began, the front door opens up, and there comes President Bush and his wife, Laura. I said, we hit the right church today. And sure enough, they come right down the aisle. We're sitting right here, about on, on the left side. The aisle's right here. I'm sitting on the end. They come right behind us, and President Bush with his, he just nodded and smiled at me and then sat about two or three seats right behind us over here where they're, uh, where they're assigned. And so we listened to the message on this, on this Pentecost Sunday, a great Holy Spirit message. I thought, this guy, this guy's got to be Holy Spirit-filled. The way he's talking about the Holy Spirit. You can't talk about the Holy Spirit like that and not know the Holy Spirit. And it was great. And we were just, it was really a great message. And then uh, in, Pentec- in Episcopal churches, they all, they take communion every Sunday. So everybody, they went row by row. And soon, President Bush's row was in line and he stopped right here. I said, thank you, Jesus. I looked up at him and I introduced myself, told him what I did, introduced him to Tracy and to my dad, and oh, incidentally, there was a man named the FBI director, Robert Mueller, right down the seat from us. Just thought you'd like to know that too. <laughs> and the president shook my hand, talked, put his hand on my shoulder, was very engaging, encouraged me, and we, we thanked him for all, all, all that he was doing, etc. And then he went up and took communion. After the service, I had to put uh, Tracy and my dad on the plane. So we went to the airport, put them on the plane, and they flew off back home. I had another team that week. We were going to stay in Washington for another week. So we stayed there, and I can, I'll never forget, when, as soon as I got back to the prayer center, which is the yellow house that you saw, I walked in the door, and I lost it Emotionally. I just started weeping, and I didn't know why until the Lord spoke to me and said, it's the sacrifice of your fathers. You need to tell the people they need to honor the sacrifice of fathers. Then the next day, as I'm getting ready for this team, We heard the news on the radio. Ronald Reagan just passed away. And so that week they were preparing for the honoring of a father of our nation. I guess I'm trying to get across to you today that we need to be a more honoring, remembering, and grateful people. And to do, we need to actually do Rituals that will help us remember.
And so I would encourage you this weekend, go to a cemetery. Thank God for what God has given to us. Honor those who have gone on before us. Amen, Pastor Ken. Oh, I got so many stories. Do you know how TAPS started? Civil War. I'll give you just a summary. Civil War. These are things that we just take as, if for granted. You know the TAPS with the, with the trumpet. I used to play it myself. I played the trumpet. And so TAPS started. Civil War. A father is in the Northern Army. He goes into battle, and he, there's a terrible uh, battle, and they stopped at night, they stopped, and they could hear the groaning and the weeping of those who were hurt, who they couldn't get to. The father was so overcome by grief over this, he heard this one whimpering sound that he could, he said, I don't care if it's a Confederate or a Union soldier, I'm going to get him. So he crawled into the battlefield area, pulled this young man out to his side. When he got him into the light, come to find out it was his son. His son had passed away just as he was dragging him. His son had been in the South for uh, a music school. And during the time his son was in this music school, he had developed um, music things. And so the, the father requested that the Northern Army give him uh, a, a special service, and they refused to do it. The only thing they would do was to give him one soldier who played one instrument. And that soldier played the notes that that son had written in music school, which was taps. You didn't know that, did you? Okay, we got to go on. So, we need to honor, remember, it's unique to our nation. I want to bring up a couple scriptures. Exodus 12, 14 says, So to this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. In other words, it's a memorial. In Joshua 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. In other words, they would set up stones, they would set up events. The Passover was meant as a memorial to remember how they got out of Egypt. It then turned into a memorial of what Jesus did for them on the cross. We need to have memorials and remembrance of what God has done for us and what has been given to us as a nation. 
Instead of uh, uh, complaining about things, we need to be thanking God for what he's done and raise up a standard of, of our, our belief in what God is and who he is. <coughs> the uh, Gospel of John in John chapter 15, verse 12, <coughs> excuse me, it says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now this is Jesus. He's, he's, he's uh, speaking this, this uh, great sacrifice that's going to take place. The greatest sacrifice you can give in life is laying down your life for another. It's the greatest sacrifice. And because of this, we should be reminded of this. I'm going to give you a few points here. Freedom has a price. Freedom has a price. I was, uh, I was at the Korean Memorial this week and we were walking up the walk and on the right is the, this wall that in, imprinted on us all these pictures of all those who served or many of those that served in the Korean War. And we get up to this place and there was all these people gathered uh, beside the, this wall. Well, I know what's on the wall. And I didn't like it that they were just ignoring what was on the wall. So I said, Would, excuse me, can you move a little? Do you know that the most important statement on this, in this war, war memorial is right behind you? They said, really? They all moved, and this is what I took. Freedom is not free. It isn't. Freedom is not free. Freedom has always been bought with blood. On July 4, 1776, John Adams said in an address to the Continental Congress, live or die, sink or swim, survive or perish, I'm committed to this Declaration of Independence, I'm committed and if God wills it, I'm ready to die that this nation may be free. Wow. We, know, we must remember that our freedom costs. It costs the precious blood of precious people who were willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. This 1.3 million, and there's many, many more that served in other capacities that gave for this, this freedom. Number two, not only does freedom have a price, we determine the value of the price paid. We determine the value. You've always heard you can't put a price on human life. You can't, but on the other hand, we determine the value to us of the price paid by others for our freedom. We determine if those who gave their lives died in vain or not. Come on. We've been entrusted with the freedom now that was gained by bloodshed. I'm saying let's now sacrifice for the generation down the line. We must do our part. And there were, there were actually values attached to these freedoms. Without values, freedom becomes lawlessness. Every man doing what is right in his own eyes. And that in itself will destroy a nation. We must determine the value of the price paid. That's why we honor those. That's why we take time. That's why we remember. That's why we are full of gratitude. Number three, freedom brings with it responsibility. On a battlefield in France in 1918, Sergeant Major Robert S. McCormick was instrumental in saving the life of his commanding officer, Major Harry Parkin. Every year thereafter, for the next at least 25 years, on the anniversary of that occasion, Mr. Parkin wrote a letter to express his gratitude to the man who had saved his life. In 1943, in the 25th annual letter, 
Mr. Parkin wrote, I again want to express to you my appreciation for another year of life which I could not ordinarily have enjoyed had it not been for you and the price you were willing to pay to save my life. I want you to know I am so very grateful. Can I say it this way? We have a responsibility to be grateful. We have a responsibility to be involved in our day for the sake of the next generation. We have a responsibility to learn from our forefathers. We need to return to a giving spirit, an honoring spirit, a, a, a thankful spirit, a grateful spirit. We need to return to the values of our forefathers. And everybody said amen. Now, the fourth point that I want to bring up here uh, is Jesus is actually the one who epitomizes the ultimate value or price for freedom. John 15, the scripture I just read. Jesus is at that point, he's about to lay down his life for his friends, and he was there with the disciples telling him, well, who are Jesus' friends? We are. We are. We're, we're never totally free until Christ comes into our lives. We're in bondage to sin. We, sin doesn't liberate. It imprisons. And Christ shed his blood to set us free. We determine in our lives the value of Christ's death by our reception of his gift. We have a responsibility, therefore, to live for God and live as good as we can. It's good for us to remember. There are things in life that we should never forget. And as we talked about the nation, I want to talk about three things before I close. And I want to tell you one more story. I, I think it's valued to, to, to remember three things. Always remember what you were before Christ. Now, I'm not saying it says forgetting those things which are behind. It's forgetting those things that encumber you. But I think you should remember what you were before Jesus comes, came. Remember what you were before Christ, while you were without Christ. Gratitude, thanksgiving, worship, obedience will not be something that we struggle with as believers if we're quick to remember what we were. Now, I'm going to say something. We have more in common with the enemy of God than with God himself. Because man, by his very nature, walks contrary to the ways of God. I was reading a study recently. This is fascinating. And this study talks about, for some reason, human beings can't walk in a straight line. There's just something about our inner orientation that causes us, causes us to walk in crooked ways. There was a man, a scientist named Robert Krulich. He cited a study from Jan Suman, who's a scientist from Germany, who blindfolded his subjects and then asked them to walk for an hour in a straight line. Without exception, people couldn't do it. Of course, everybody thinks they're walking in a straight line, but they were, they, they were never walking straight. They would do loop-de-loops, and they thought they were going straight. There's a, there's a profound inability in humans to walk straight. <clears throat> and according to this research, there's only one way we can walk in a straight line. By focusing on something ahead of us, like a building, a landmark, a mountain, or Jesus. And if we can fix our eyes on something ahead of us, we can make ourselves avoid our normal crooked course. Without external cues, there's apparently something in us that makes us turn. 
This is powerful. The Bible says we have walked according to the course of this world. Sin is turning from God to walk according to sinful nature by being blindfolded and walking in circles. Remember what you were before Christ. Number two, remember what Christ has done for us. Remember what he's done for you. The great news of the gospel is that despite all of these things, despite our sin, trespasses, rebellion, hopelessness, everything else, Christ loves us. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. I mean, that's just, while you were spitting in his face, he died for you. Despite our lowly and desperate condition, Christ came to us and gave us life. While we're here on earth, hanging on a precipice almost, between heaven and hell, knowing there is no escape, there is no way, in, it's inevitable that we will go to hell. It is inevitable that we will, we will uh, know death. But the Bible says, but God, being rich in mercy, when we were dead in our trespasses, saved us by grace, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thank God. Oh, remember what Christ has done for us. And the last thing is we are to remember who we are in Christ. Who are you? Well, in Christ and because of Christ, we've been made alive. We're alive to God. Because of Christ, we've been set free. His sacrifice has paid the debt of sin and freed us from the power of sin. You are no longer under the power of sin. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, <clears throat> which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been saved for a purpose. We've been saved on purpose for a purpose. And we need to be thankful and come and give thanks. I close with this story. <clears throat> it happens every Friday evening. Almost without fail, when the sun resembles a giant orange and is starting to dip into the blue ocean, Old Ed comes strolling along the beach to his favorite pier. Clutched in his bony hand is a bucket of shrimp. Ed walks out to the end of the pier where it seems he almost has the world to himself. The glow of the sun is a golden bronze now and everybody's gone. Except for a few joggers on the beach. Standing, but, standing out on the end of the pier, Ed is alone with his thoughts and his bucket of shrimp. Before long, however, he is no longer alone. Up in the sky, a thousand white dots come screeching and squawking and winging their way toward this lanky frame standing on the end of the, of the pier. Before long, dozens of seagulls have surrounded him, their wings fluttering and flapping wildly. Ed stands there tossing shrimp to the hungry birds. As he does, if you listen closely, you can hear him say with a smile, thank you, thank you. In a few short minutes, the bucket is empty, but Ed doesn't leave. He stands there lost in thought as though transported to another time and place. Invariably, one of the goals lands on his sea-bleached, weather-beaten hat, an old military hat he's been wearing for years. When he finally turns around and begins to walk back toward the beach, a few of the birds hop along the pier with him until he gets to the stairs, and then they too fly away. And old Ed quietly makes his way down to the end of the beach and on home. If you were sitting on that pier with your fishing line in the water that day, Ed might seem like a funny old duck. 
As my dad used to say, or a guy that's a sandwich shy of a picnic. Or as others say, he's just an old codger. To the onlooker, rituals can look either very strange or very empty. They can seem altogether unimportant, maybe even a lot of nonsense. Old folks often do strange things, at least in the eyes of the busters and the millennials. Most of them would probably have written old Ed off. That's too bad. They'd do well to know him better. You see, his full name is Eddie Rickenbacker. He was a famous hero back in World War II. On one of his flying missions across the Pacific, he and his seven-member crew went down. Miraculously, all of the men survived, crawled out of their plane, and climbed into a life raft. Captain Rickenbacker and his crew floated for days in the waters of the Pacific. They fought the sun. They fought sharks. Most of all, they fought hunger. And by the eighth day, their rations ran out. No food, no water. They were hundreds of miles from land, and no one knew where they were. They needed a miracle. So that afternoon, they had a simple devotional service, and they asked God for a miracle. After that, they tried to nap. Eddie leaned back and pulled his military cap over his nose. Time dragged on. All he could hear was the slap of the waves against the raft. Suddenly, Eddie felt something land on the top of his cap. It was a seagull. Old Ed would later describe how he sat perfectly still, planning his next move. With a flash of his hand and a squawk from the gull, he managed to grab it and wring its neck. He tore the feathers off and he and his starving crew made a meal, a very slight meal for eight men. Then they used the intestines for bait. And with it, they caught fish, which gave them food and more bait. And the cycle continued. With that simple survival technique, they were able to endure the rigors of the sea until they were found and rescued after 24 days at sea. Eddie Rickenbacker lived many years beyond that ordeal, but he never forgot the sacrifice of that first life-giving seagull. And he never stopped saying, thank you. That's why every Friday, he would walk to the end of the pier with a bucket full of shrimp and a heart full of gratitude and say thank you. I tell you people, we need to be more thankful. We need to thank God for all the, all the veterans. We need to thank God for our nation. We need to thank God for what he's done through family and friends and those who've gone on before. We need to thank God for Jesus Christ and what he's given to us who paid the ultimate sacrifice so we could experience forgiveness of sins and, and fullness of life. We need to be thankful. I just, can I just say today, we have a responsibility to be full of gratitude and to be thankful for our nation. And if you're not a history buff, you need to become one. If you don't like history, you're gonna be a ripe candidate to repeat history and it will get you. That's why I study history, because I want to know what to do and what not to do. 
And if I hadn't told that story to you today, you probably would never know that. That's a history story. We need to understand what God has done and what God has done through our nation. We are one blessed people and we should be one happy people. Thank you.